My name is James Metzger. I'm the lead pastor at Renaissance Bible Church, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning into our podcast. At Ren, we really believe that God's Word is living and active, that God still uses it to form and shape and change lives uh, for all of eternity. And so our prayer uh, for you is that God might use uh, these words to point you and others to Jesus. May God bless you in your journey. Father God, you uh, stand alone. Uh, There is no one like you. And so we come before you this morning and uh, we we bow down. We worship you, uh, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, I pray during our time together that you would uh, soften our hearts, help us to be attentive to your word and what uh, you would have for us this morning. God, I'm grateful Uh, for your living and active word. I'm grateful that you still use it to change hearts and lives today. Uh, God, would you point us to yourself this morning? We love you. Uh, We thank you so much for loving us first. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Uh, The great Hall of Fame broadcaster Larry Merchant Uh, once dubbed boxing uh, the theater of the unexpected. I don't know if we have any boxing fans here this morning. I suspect we probably don't. Uh, But I saw a replay of something from Friday night that, quite honestly, I had never seen before, and it caught me a little off guard. You know how boxing typically works, right? They they announce one gentleman to the ring. He walks down. Oftentimes, he has on a, a large robe with some bling or glitter or something with a cool nickname across, and he... You know, he's punching the air, he's kind of shadow boxing, and uh, he gets up to the ring, and they lift up the rope, and he ducks underneath it, and he starts bouncing around the ring, and then they announce someone else who also typically has on a large robe with some bling or glitter on the back, maybe a hood with a cool little nickname, and they announce him to the ring, and he starts walking down to the ring, and he's shadow boxing, he's looking all scary and stuff, and they get to the ring, and they lift up the rope, and he ducks up underneath the rope, and they're kind of both in the ring, and they're standing in their corners, and then the referee asks them to come together, and the referee brings the boxers together, and then uh, typically they'll touch gloves, they'll go back to their perspective corners, they'll ring the bell, and then they'll just beat the snot out of each other. That's typically how it works, but it didn't work that way Friday night, See, they announced one boxer. He was from uh, Nigeria. He was an Olympian. He's undefeated. I think he's like 9-0, and and, uh, he was expected to win this particular fight. They announced him. He came down to the ring. He was doing a shadow boxing thing. He looked like he could beat me up. Uh, And then they announced the other guy, and he came down, and he also looked like he could beat me up. And the referee brought them together. They touched gloves. They went back to their perspective corners. The bell rang, and then one boxer by the name of Curtis Harper decided, peace, I'm out. And he just left the ring. He walked down. He walked back down the aisle. He went to the dressing room. He left the building. I was like, well, that's the theater of the unexpected. I have never seen that before. 
Uh, Do you know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus uh, had a grand entrance as well? Uh, Jesus had a grand entrance. He uh, entered into uh, Jerusalem, but he didn't enter the ring uh, to fight. Instead, uh, he entered uh, life to free uh, those who were enslaved to sin. Jesus did not come to fight, but to free And so this morning, I want us to look at this grand entrance from Jesus, and I want to make four observations, things that we see about Jesus uh, from a text that maybe if you grew up uh, in church is familiar to you. If you're new to the story, I'm glad uh, that you're here. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, if Uh, You don't have a copy of the scriptures or your your, uh, electronic device to follow along on. Uh, The passage will be uh, on the screen. It says in Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 1, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. Verse 4, and they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus, or what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the ground, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Four observations from uh, what is referred to or called the triumphal entry. The first observation that we noticed uh, in the text is that Jesus is in control uh, so you can trust him. Uh, Jesus is in control so you can trust him. Uh, it, it, It may not be completely obvious when you first read the passage, but we noticed here that what Jesus has instructed the disciples to do and say um, actually happens. Right? Just as he said it would. Um, this is true of the life of Christ. The life of Christ was lived in such a way by Jesus that he, he wasn't some uh, innocent bystander. He wasn't a, a victim to uh, what was playing out in humanity. It's not like his hands were tied and, and things just happened to him that he had no control over or he did not see coming. Jesus was in control. He was sovereign over his days. And so when he says to his disciples, go to a village, uh, you'll find a colt tied, no one's ever sat on it, untie it, bring it to me. If anyone asks, let them know that I need it. So his disciples leave, and you'll never guess what happens. They see a colt tied there, right? They found a colt outside the door or outside in the street, and they untied it. And the people said, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, Jesus needs it. And they said, okay, 
Right? It plays out just the way that Jesus said it would play out. Do you know that Jesus is in control and you can trust him? Sometimes it feels in life like Jesus is not in control. Sometimes it seems like there are things that come our way that happen to us that feel very out of control. When I was in high school, I went to Minnesota to, vi- to visit a college with my friend Wade. Um, I don't know why, but we thought it would be a good idea uh, to go in January. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to Minnesota in January, but it's cold. It's cold, and they have lots of snow, and they have ice. I still remember an individual from the college who picked us up. We got in the back seat of his car, and we began driving toward the college. And I was thinking to myself, as we saw the snow falling, I was thinking to myself, it's probably pretty slick out there, right? And he's going awfully fast. But I'm 17 years old, and and I didn't want to be a backseat driver. I didn't want to correct him. I didn't want to say, excuse me, sir, can you slow down? So I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything until he lost control of his vehicle on black ice, right? And we saw this, right? We saw this, and we felt this, right? We're swerving back and forth until we start Uh, circling around and doing 360s on the highway. My buddy and I, Wade, we were singing Jesus Take the Wheel right before Carrie did, right? Like, we were like, please, Lord, help us. Miraculously, miraculously, he was able to straighten out the vehicle. We didn't go in the ditch, and no one hit us. that, That was amazing that that happened. But I remember the feeling in that moment of like, I am out of control. Right? There, there is nothing that I can do. Not only am I not driving, but I'm sitting in the back seat and we're, we're just going kind of where the road takes us. Do you ever feel that way before? Do you ever feel in life like, like you are out of control? Maybe there's a, a shakeup at work. Maybe there's a breakup at school. Maybe there's a a parenting crisis or a financial crisis. Maybe there's an unexpected uh, sickness or an unwanted loss. There there are these reminders all throughout life that we are not in control. Uh, We are not in control, uh, but, but Jesus is. Um, Jesus is in control, and he can be trusted. Uh, That means when unexpected things come our way in life that we didn't see coming, and that maybe we didn't want to come, uh, we can have a a mindset and a mentality and a heart that says, God, I, I don't see what you're doing here, but you're in control, and I trust you. Uh, when we grow to know and understand the character of God, we, uh, we begin uh, to trust him. When we know that God is, is loving and patient and, and kind, that he's uh, steadfast in his love and his faithfulness uh, for us, we can say, Lord, I, I know your character. I know who you are. I know you're in control, and I trust you. I pray that we would be uh, a people uh, who trust 
Jesus. My question for you this morning is, is there an area uh, in your life that God is calling uh, you to trust him? Right? Is there an area in your life where, where God's calling you to trust him? Where you're going, Lord, I don't, I don't see how this plays out. I don't understand what you're doing here. I, I don't understand all of the angles. I, I don't know what you're doing with my son or my daughter. I don't know what you're doing in this relationship. Lord, I don't know what you're doing with my career path. I don't understand what you're doing with the health of our family. I don't, I don't see that. But is there, is there an area where, where God's going, I, I want you to trust me? Jesus is in control, and he can be trusted. The second thing that we notice from the triumphal uh, entry, from from Jesus making his way into uh, Jerusalem, is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king, and and, and we can submit to him. Jesus is king, and we can submit to him. It says in verse 7, And they brought the colt to Jesus, and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the ground, and others spread uh, leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who had followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in uh, the highest. If you're familiar with Scripture, you know what's taking place was spoken about back in the Old Testament. There's a a number of Old Testament prophecies that speak uh, to Jesus coming in this way. Uh, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Greatly, or rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, of the fowl of a donkey. And so there's really two things taking place here uh, that would cause people uh, to think that Jesus was more uh, than, than a good teacher. That Jesus was more than simply uh, a kind man. That Jesus was more than an influential leader. Uh, There's two things simultaneously that are taking place. Uh, One of them is that Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem from the east. Now, maybe you hear that and you're like, whatever. Like, you're not not into geography. You don't go home and study the maps in the back of your Bible. You're like, okay, well, like, what is coming from the east? That's cool. But the thing to understand is that The Old Testament scriptures, when it spoke about uh, the Savior coming, the King coming, it it said that he would come from the east. And so when Jesus is coming from the Judean wilderness and coming into Jerusalem, he's coming from the east. Isaiah talks about a highway in which the Messiah would come that runs through the desert, the Judean wilderness, and comes into the city. Ezekiel, in his vision, saw the Lord returning uh, to the new people from the east to occupy uh, a particular space in Ezekiel uh, chapter 43. Uh, Malachi turns the eyes of his reader with the words, But as for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will come with healing in its, in its rays. And so this thought is, is like the Savior, the King, is, is going to make his way from the east. And so Jesus uh, finds his way coming uh, from the east on a donkey. The second thing that uh, is key to pointing to Jesus as uh, the King is, is this particular mode of transportation. 
Now, maybe you think, well, Jesus is just trying to get to the city. I mean, it's a, he had to get there somehow, and so why not like, take some transportation? Right? But, but Scripture in the Old Testament, there, there's another time where there was someone who was anointed king uh, that, that came uh, on an animal just like this. The story is told in 1 Kings chapter 1. Uh, there was a man by the name of Adonijah, and, th- and there were people as David was aging uh, who looked at him and said, hey, he is, uh, he is our new king. Uh, scripture describes him as, as a handsome man, like he was a good-looking guy. Uh, he was the kind of guy that would play the part that, that you would look at and go, I could see that. And he's tall, dark, handsome, like it, this seems to work. And so a group of people begin scheming, thinking we're going we're gonna to name him king. And we're going to do it without David knowing. Well, long story short, David catches a wind of what is taking place in 1 Kings uh, chapter 1. And, and David had, had determined that his son Solomon would be king. And so David hears about this other plan and comes to Solomon, and they end up uh, putting a Solomon on a mule and heading down to uh, this very area geographically uh, where Jesus is coming on a donkey. Right? So there's these, these two events that are taking place. One, people had this expectation that the king would come uh, from the east, and then the mode of transportation from Jesus was significant because uh, it, it's kingly transportation. It's kingly transportation in the sense that Scripture had said, hey, this is what you can expect. And so it's playing out before uh, the people. And so they're looking at Jesus. And for them, Jesus coming on a donkey is a coronation of sorts. And the crowd responds appropriately to that. They they begin uh, to, to worship. They begin to shout, Hosanna, to the son of David. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. A picture uh, is worth a thousand words. A picture is worth a thousand words. And the, and the picture that would have been playing out before the eyes of the people was one, a promised king coming. So people look to Jesus and they uh, begin to worship. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father, Jesus. Jesus uh, is King, and we ought to submit to Him. Uh, Jesus is King, and so we ought to uh, submit our lives to Him. Jesus is not a King like a, a chancellor of a school, where, where the old president kind of slides out and becomes chancellor, and he's, he's just sort of a figurehead. Have you ever attended an institution like that? I, I kind of did. Our president transitioned out. A new guy came in, and, and the old guy was chancellor. He just kind of represented the school. But we don't really know if he did anything. He just kind of, I mean, he just sort of was there, and people connected the, the history of the school with this, with this guy. But he wasn't calling the shots. He wasn't driving decisions. He wasn't setting the direction. He wasn't communicating vision. He just was kind of a figurehead. And sometimes I wonder if when we think that Jesus is king, if we don't have this perception of him like, like he's just kind of a figurehead. 
Like we know people in political office and we, we see them from a distance and we think to ourselves, well, for the most part, man, I don't know if they greatly affect my daily life. Oftentimes, that's how we think or how we function. But Jesus uh, isn't a king uh, like that. Jesus is the, the kind of king that calls us uh, to submit to his rule, to do what he commands. And we don't always like that. I mean, we don't like that. We don't like being told what to do. We like our independence. We like to be calling the shots. We don't like anyone to come alongside of us and say, yes, do that, or no, don't do that. I remember when I was a teenager, occasionally, and when I say occasionally, I mean every now and again, basically not very often, I would think, I want to mow the lawn today. I want to mow the lawn. I just, for whatever reason, it's like, you know what? I know. I mean, parents, I see you have big eyes. You're like, are you serious? You did that? I did that. A couple times I woke up, I'm like, I want to mow the lawn. But I remember there was a couple times when I determined in the morning that I wanted to mow the lawn, and then my mom or my dad asked me to mow the lawn before I told them my intent. Guess what I didn't want to do? I didn't want to mow the lawn. I'm like, you're paying the mortgage. It's your place. You mow the lawn. I didn't say that because I didn't want to be kicked out. But there just was something in my soul where I was like, "Mm, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. Man, that's like the human condition. It's like, "Don't don't you tell me what to do. And I want to be the the captain of my own ship. I want to call the shots. I don't naturally want to submit my way to his way. But, but Jesus is king. And, and he's not the kind of king that's just a figurehead. He is king. And King Jesus rules and reigns. And he calls us to submit uh, to his way of life. James tells us, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Ren, is there an area... Uh, in your life uh, that is off limits to King Jesus? Is is there an area in your life where you're like, "Mm, that's for me. Like, I'm I'm for Jesus here, and I like Jesus here, but I I don't want Jesus in my life over here. I don't, want him, I don't want him pressing into my free time. I don't want him pressing and moving into my finances. I don't want him pressing into my relationships. I don't want him pressing into... Is there an area of your life that functionally is off limits to King Jesus? Uh, Jesus is king, and we should submit to him.
But Jesus is the kind of king that does not rule with an iron fist. Uh, Jesus is not the, the kind of king that moves into situations and say, heads will roll. Now, Jesus is a humble king. Uh, Jesus is humble, and so uh, we should imitate him. Sometimes leaders and politicians and athletes uh, can have a reputation uh, for not being humble. I know it's hard to believe, uh, but, but sometimes politicians or leaders or uh, famous music- musicians or actors or athletes have a reputation for like being big fans of themselves, right? They are, they are pro themselves. Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, famously said, I am the straw that stirs the drink. Ricky Henderson, former Oakland uh, Athletics All-Star, called a GM one time and said, this is Ricky calling on behalf of Ricky. Ricky wants to play baseball. Ricky was a big fan of Ricky. Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, he said, there are three things in life that are certain. Death, taxes, and number 85 is always open. And then... Not only is there the example of Reggie Jackson or Ricky Henderson or Chad Johnson, there is like 87% of the Duke basketball team. I mean, I I can say that because I mean, I'm not, I don't have a a dog in the hunt. Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, Jesus was king, but he did not demand uh, the royal treatment. In his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, author Daniel Aiken recounts the uniqueness between the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem and the arrival of Muhammad into Mecca. He writes, Muhammad rode into Mecca on a war horse, surrounded by 400 mounted men and 10,000 foot soldiers. Those who greeted him were absorbed into his movement. Those who resisted him were vanquished, killed, or enslaved. Muhammad conquered Mecca. He took control of its new uh, religious, political, and military leader. Uh, Today, in a place, in a palace in uh, Turkey, Muhammad's purported sword is proudly on display. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey. He came with his 12 disciples. He was welcomed and greeted by people waving uh, palm branches, a traditional sign of peace. Uh, Jesus came by invitation and uh, not by force. No more clearly uh, do we see the humility of Jesus than uh, in this act uh, of Jesus coming and living a perfect life and dying uh, for the sake of others. And so scripture calls us to emulate um, this way of life. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, uh, even death on a cross. Did you, did you catch that picture from Philippians chapter 2? You is more significant than me. Uh, Jesus calls us um, to, to live that kind of life. The kind of life that comes alongside of others and says, uh, you, you are more significant than me. My interests, my concerns, my needs, although they are real, although they are important, are not more important than your interests, than your concerns, than your needs. Jesus teaches us that position is not more important than people. Right? Jesus emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He became obedient to death. Jesus is a king, but he is a humble king. And so my question for you this morning is, is there someone that God has placed before you that you can humbly serve? Like as you think about your day, as you think about your interactions with others, as you navigate your way through the week, just think to yourself, is there someone that God is placing before me where, where I can actually uh, live this out? Where I can have the kind of mentality that says you is more important, more significant than me. I think God sends us people all of the time. Jesus is humble. And we are called to imitate him. Jesus is also Savior. Jesus is also Savior. And we should believe in him. Mark chapter 11, verse 8 says, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before him and those who followed him were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally was at one time a cry that meant, meant save us. It, it became known though as this, uh, this cry out of the, the Lord saves. Right? And so there's this crowd that is not simply uh, shouting out save us, but, but the Lord Saves. But the interesting thing about uh, this story is that uh, when people looked at Jesus, they, they wanted Jesus to save them, but they didn't necessarily want Jesus to save them in the manner or in the way that he came to save them. Many people wanted a political savior. Uh, many people wanted to be delivered from the rule of Rome. Uh, many people, when they were expecting a Savior who would come from the East, they longed for and they wanted a political Savior. Uh, they wanted someone who would fix what was broken. Now, I know it's hard for us to imagine that because we, we've kind of figured everything out, clearly, or not. No, we, we have those same longings. We have those same desires as a people, and they did some 2,000 years ago. But, but Jesus wasn't necessarily the, the kind of Savior that people wanted. And he might not be uh, the kind of Savior that oftentimes we want or that we long for. 
Oftentimes, as a people, we can function in a way that we want Jesus to be a a Savior who fixes us in our crazy family, or we want a Savior who will come and make well or fix our finances. We want a Savior who will come and rule in Washington. We want a Savior who will fix our career or our kids. We want a Savior who will help lend us a helping hand so that we can kind of get over the hump in life. We want someone like that, but, but Jesus wasn't that kind of a Savior. He wasn't that kind of a fixer. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. So the, the kind of Savior that Jesus was, was the Savior that came for the weak. He was the kind of Savior who came for the ungodly. He was not the Savior who came for the spiritually well. He was not a Savior who came uh, for people who really didn't think that they needed saving. He came for people who were broken. He came for people who were helpless. He came for people who were weak. He came for people who were sinners. Right? And that's, that's us. The, the, the great challenge and problem that uh, we face as humanity is not low self-esteem. It's self. I mean, we, have, we just have issues. We have issues. We have problems. God's showing us His perfect law, and none of us measure up. Scripture says that no one is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Right? So in our helpless estate, in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, God the Father sent God the Son to be our Savior. Right? Jesus is our Savior, and we can trust him. What kind of Savior are you trusting in this morning? What kind of Savior do you long for? What kind of Savior uh, do you want? Um, the, the kind of Savior that we need is the Savior who has come. 2,000 years ago, Jesus made a grand entrance. And he entered the ring not uh, to fight, but to free us uh, from sin. Uh, Jesus is in control, and you can trust him. Uh, Jesus is king, and we should submit to him. Uh, Jesus is humble. We're called to imitate him. And Jesus is savior, and we should put our faith in him. Uh, King Jesus has come. And you and I stand in the ring. Don't walk away. Don't walk away. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, we give you uh, thanks that you have uh, come to rescue and save sinners. Uh, Thank you that at our very worst, you extended to us and gave to us your very best. Lord, thank you that by faith, 
uh, in the finished work of Jesus. You call us uh, your sons and daughters. We can come uh, before you with boldness because of the good and perfect work of Jesus. And so we give you thanks this morning. God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a trust in you. Remind us that you're in control when everything else in life may seem out of control. Uh, Remind us that you are a king who rules and reigns and stir in our hearts a desire and a longing to submit to you. Lord, would you remind us even in this moment right now that you are a humble king, uh, that you came to lay uh, your life down for us. Lord, help us to imitate uh, the example that has been set. And Lord, you... You are our Savior. And so, Jesus, our faith is in you. Would you grow our faith even now, Lord? Give us uh, eyes to see. God, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit.